suddenly I was money was not my problem anymore. And, and they say like the reward for financial independence is an existential crisis because it's like, what am I about now? Jeremy, thank you so much for being here. And uh, I appreciate your time. And just to preface the, everyone that's listening, this is going to be a really cool, unique conversation because I haven't exactly spoke about personal finances on this podcast, usually it's a, a little bit more uh, more of a tearjerker. So this is a nice refresher, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot. So Jeremy, Personal Finance Club, thank you so much for being here. Hey, David. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So again, for the guests, I know we just broke into it. You made a post about something called the Dead Box, right? Yeah. And I feel like it's our branding is similar with dead in all capital letters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not going to make a tidbit out of that. Uh, but uh, yeah. So one thing I've always, you know, you always hear, you say p- people say that death and taxes are the two most certain things in life. But in my head, I, I'm like, I kind of question, I'm like, I know there's some people that don't pay taxes. Everyone's going to die. So it's like, <laughs> I think death is the most certain thing, period. And I thought it was really the way you said it too. I don't have it in front of me, but you know, you added a little bit of, I don't want to say dark humor, but a little bit of touch in there in regards to the way you presented your idea. So leading into that topic, maybe introduce yourself to some people that may or may not know you, maybe a little bit of your background, what you do, and then uh, we can kind of approach the dead box. Cool. Yeah. So my name is Jeremy Schneider. Uh, My shtick is that I retired when I was 36 years old. Um, You know, normally I'm talking to like, you know, financial enthusiasts. So I guess I, I would probably be considered part of the FIRE movement, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early, which is this concept that you don't have to work until you die. And in fact, traditional retire age of 65 or 70 is just this imaginary number. You don't get to retire automatically when you're that age, and you don't have to wait until that age. You know, my personal story was accelerated because I started an internet company in college, grew it, and I sold it at the age of 34. And then at 36, I basically decided I had enough money to live off of the growth of my investments indefinitely. Um, and now I'm 41, and I basically found that I was very bored a year after retiring, and I started a side hustle hobby of helping people learn about personal finance. So I started something called Personal Finance Club, and that's what I do now. I help people learn about learn about money. That's incredible. I saw on your website, too, you, uh, it was just whole backstory, something about investing $50 a week until from 1977 or something like that in the S&P. And that just, is that, because you had an early background on this stuff. Uh, I mean, I wasn't alive in 1977, not quite. I mean, I mean not 77. So what, 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 was, <laughs> yeah. what, what, was, what was the year? Wasn't I saw something of the sort that I thought you invested a certain amount of money every day, like a certain amount of money a week? Do I have that wrong? Um, I mean, I tell lots of stories about that. They're not all not about me necessarily, but I mean, there's, That's what it is. you know, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, one of the stats that I, I often say is that if you invest 250 bucks a month over the course of 40 years, there is no start and end year in like modern economic history where you don't end up with over a million dollars. And, and so people, you know, think that investing often is like, you know, this tricky thing about Bitcoin and day trading and picking stocks and, you know, and, and all that, you know, speculative stuff is just nonsense. Investing is just about slowly buying and holding more and more, whether it's, you know, the stock market or whether it's like investment real estate. These are things that generally go up in value and generally provide income while you own them. And and as much in the headlines as you hear about stock market crashes and gloom and doom and recessions and inflation, yada, 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 there's never been a 40-year period where 250 bucks a month doesn't turn into over a million. And the average is actually 1.9 million. And it's just, you know, whether you're 
2 million or 2.8 million just kind of depends on, you know, what year it is. But even if it's like on the lower end, what usually happens is the next few years, the market goes up higher and then you're over 2 million. Right. And just to follow up with what the mistake I just made, clearly I should stick to my day job and join your course after this because math is not my forte. So I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you for that intro. That's amazing. You're, uh, once again, I want to I go right to the, the dead box idea. And, and I don't know if you want to break that down, that thought down for the listeners. Yeah. So, you know, money is a, a wide topic and, and a big, you know, one big section that is, is estate planning and this is one of those terrifying terms in finance that is like intimidating and confusing. And I think often people hear estate planning and they think, I don't have an estate. What is that like a farm with horses or something? You know, like, <laughs> uh, I don't have anything like an estate and, and a need to plan for this estate, you know, but what it really just means is just giving your family a break when you die. And like you said, we're all going to die. And it's a tragedy when you die. And if you can not make it a logistical and financial nightmare for your family, on top of the grieving, that'd be a nice thing to do for your family. And so the dead box is simply a place that you put all the important account and financial information with your life. And so imagine if you were like to kick the bucket today, there's a lot of stuff that's in your head, you know, where your bank accounts are, where your debt is, your credit cards, your passwords, where the title to your car is, your keys, your phone password that has it gets the two-factor authentication codes texted to it. And if you just unexpectedly get wiped from this earth, that's like a big hassle for someone to untwang. And not only is it a hassle, it also could be financially like crippling if your family needs access to that money to live or it could just be expensive if they don't know about accounts or something, right? You could just lose an entire old retirement account from your previous company that like is floating in the back of your head, but isn't right written down. And so yeah, it's, it, you, it's just a place you put all this stuff, it can be physical and or digital. For me, most of it's in a Google Drive, where I just have a folder that I've like, just thrown all like, you know, how to untangle my financial life. And then I put a calendar invite on my calendar every year, in January, where I email my brother and I say, Yo, dude, this exists. This is how to get to it. I've just updated it and I do it every single year because if you make it and then seven years goes by and then you die, you're like seven years, like, did, did he send something seven years ago? Oh, and that's not even updated, right? And so I do it every year. And then in that, in that document or in that folder too, I also have a letter where I have like, as a, a living person, I've composed like a letter to my family beyond my death. And I think that like kind of dark humor you're referring to is like in the little Im Instagram image where I was describing this, it says like, dear family, I'm dead. <laughs> And then it goes on to, you know, explain, you know, the logistics. I'm like, this is the lawyer that crafted my will and his phone number. And here's my best friend who has the spare keys to my house or whatever. So that's what it is. Yeah, that's smart. And I wonder, uh, I wonder if it is a blend of everything you just said that people, you think people don't set this stuff up because of the thought, like you said, with the like words like a state and they think they don't have enough to do it. You don't think they don't even think about it? Or is it just they don't think they have enough? Like, what is it you think that people put this on the back burner for? I do think that a lot of people correlate estate planning to some sort of fancy financial tax avoidance. Um, but here's my like one of my favorite stats about estate planning. So let me ask, let me quiz you. So have you heard of the estate tax, like the uh, the amount you pay money when you die, or you pay tax when you die before your family gets the remainder of your you know your money? I've heard of it. Can you mind explaining it? Yeah. So before I do, like let me ask you. 
I quiz everybody, and this isn't to make you feel bad because everybody gets it wrong. So, but I just like to hear the. I guesses. feel better ready, but go on. <laughs> okay, well, then <laughs> I failed. But so there's this thing called the estate tax exemption, which is a certain amount of money below which you owe no estate tax. So up until that dollar amount, your family gets all of your money tax-free, and only above the estate tax exemption does the estate tax kick in. And so my quiz question to you, and again, please try not to feel bad, but my quiz question to you is, what is that estate tax exemption? How m- Under what dollar amount do you owe no estate tax? I have no idea. Um, half a million? I have no idea. I'm going to keep it low right there and just not say anything worse than that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people guess that. Some people guess 100000 or 10000 or whatever. Um, the correct answer is it's, it's over $12 million per person. So if you're single, it's 12. If you're married, it's 24. And I don't know, just, it's like one of those things, like, it's just never, you know, we don't think about our death, most of us. I mean, maybe you do, but um, most of us on a daily basis or whatever. And so we just don't get to that. And so people are this, like, this estate tax planning. They think it's like this, oh, I'm going to avoid some estate tax or, or, you know, and it's not. Like, this issue of avoiding the estate tax is an issue that I just don't care about. You know, like, if you have 12 or $24 million over that, and you're going to give that much to your children or your heirs tax-free... And then you're trying to limit the tax on the additional amount. Like personally, from a political perspective or whatever, I just don't care about your problem. Like if, if the government wants to just just tear the over $24 million to shreds, like I feel like that's actually a pretty good way to tax people, better than tax living people. And your children with $24 million are going to have to get by somehow. You know, they're going to have to wipe away their tears. You know, so, but my whole point is like what estate planning is, is it's not about avoiding that tax because that's not a big deal. It's about just leaving your stuff not a mess. And you ask why, so why don't people do it? I think one, because I think it's for rich people, which it's not. And I think two, it's just because like, I don't know, why don't people set up their Roth IRAs? It's a guaranteed million dollars if you put 250 bucks in there. Why don't people, you know, and I think the real reality is like, because we have stuff occupying our time every day that's like pressing, like the kids need to get to practice or you're trying to date or your job is a pain in the ass or whatever. And, and you're never like, hmm, I'm going to crack my knuckle and write a letter, to, like I write a dead letter to my family. You know, like it's not a <laughs> pressing issue because, you know, un- unless you are someone who's like in your final moments or whatever, and you know that your death is imminent, then I think people, those people might hopefully, you know, bring this up. But I think, you know, people die unexpectedly all the time. So it's a good thing for every healthy person to do too. Yeah, this is such an education that goes over everyone's head. I mean, including myself in many ways. I think about the bullshit that I learned in school. I spent so much time memorizing the presidents in order and when I could have been taught so much more like this at like when I was in right. elementary school. So it's 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 a great it's a great thing that you're doing. Uh, what about you? When did you start? At what point in your life did you start contemplating this situation of okay, I'm going to die. I should probably set this stuff up. Has it always been with you? You know, I I mean, you know, I'm 41 now and I I sold my company when I was 34 where I got any sort of like serious, you know, wealth that I would need to worry about. And so I think it was around that time where, you know, I had a couple million dollars and I was like, huh, if I die, I probably should like, you know, I've heard of a will and a trust. I didn't really know what they were. I was like, I should probably look into that. And to my discredit, like I should have before too, right? Because like if I died earlier, it wouldn't necessarily have been as big of a financial deal, but um, it would have been still a logistical nightmare for my family to like get access to my car, you know, like just all this little stuff that people have to sort out and having your dead box, I think can really help organize that. Yeah. I like that too, because it's, it's it, even outside of just financial stuff, it's just access to X, Y, Z throughout your life. So it's even, I think it's even 
even for people that are overwhelmed and scared to talk about finances and stuff like that, I think this really just applies for people to access whatever you have in general. So I feel like that's a good first step to go into there and and put all that stuff together. I don't know how much I can pick your brain because I, I don't want to like give people free information for your course and whatnot. I don't know how that works. No, but, no, no, there's yeah. no secrets. Like okay. my whole shtick is like there are no there are no I do sell a course, but there are no secrets in the course. I say everything for free all the time. The course is just you know a place where people can go to buy it all in order if they want. Um, but like the and and like so I'm retired. Like if everyone read three books on personal finance, I would just close up shop and go like be a skydiving instructor or something. Um, <laughs> you know, like the whole point of this, like I'm not doing this as some cash grab because it's a terrible cash grab. You know, I would be like in Silicon Valley making another tech company or something. Um, so yeah, I'm an open book. I'm here to educate. That's what I love to do, and also. As a corollary, this is kind of a business tip. It just is a happy convenience that if that's your mentality, people are like way more likely to buy your course anyway. It's just kind of a strange thing. And I think people who like try to keep secrets behind paywalls end up like it's you know hurting themselves more. A hundred percent. I feel like I've learned that myself. Is when you when you're chasing that dollar in a certain aggressive way, where it seems like not deceptive, but you're trying to pull one over someone. And I feel like it's a short term game, and in the long term, it doesn't fucking work out. Um, so that's great. So my, my question I was thinking was outside of the, I guess it's part of the dead box or part of this whole thing with the process of kind of getting your stuff in order. I don't know if I'd give anyone my phone password. I got some weird stuff in there. That one I might just push to the side. That's me personally. Outside of that, what do you think is like one of the first steps someone should take in regards to planning for the long term? Like, is it just your information and stuff like that? But financially, is there anything you could do to, for, for your family down the road? Like, is there any like step one that you would take? I mean, the big one is life insurance. And so, you know, the first question to ask is, if I die, does it create a financial crisis for anyone? Is anyone depending on your work to live? And it could be paid work or unpaid work. So for example, if you are a spouse who stays at home to care for children or whatever, and you die, your remaining spouse, if you're married, is going to have a financial crisis because now they can't do both things all of a sudden. They can't work in the home and work out of the home. And of course, if you are a single parent or a, you know, income producing spouse and you die and people depend on your income to buy food and stuff, then that creates a financial crisis. By the way, if those things aren't true for you, if you don't have kids, don't have anyone depending on your work to live, you don't need life insurance. And life insurance is one of these kind of like estate planning. It's such, a, it's such an intimidating topic. People like hear it. They, they see pitches on TikTok now. There's these like predatory insurance sales and pushing it as an, an investment. And, you know, everyone feels it's like it's that nightmare you have where you wake up and you have a final that you didn't know you had or something um, in, in school. And um, everyone feels like they're behind. But life insurance is a very simple thing at its core. It's like, if you die and it creates a financial crisis for someone, you should have it. And you should buy what's called term life insurance. It's for a certain period of years, usually like 10, 15, 20 years. And if you unexpectedly die during that time, then, you know, your beneficiaries, your family gets a big chunk of change. You know, you could buy like a million dollar term life insurance policy for pretty cheap. It depends on your age and some other stuff, but like, you know, maybe 50 bucks a month because it just turns out, you know, youngish people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s are very unlikely to die in the next 20 years. Obviously, there's like accidents and, and things like that, but you know, most people live until they're over 70 and then then the like the death rates start to creep up. So if you need it, buy term life insurance. And some people say, what about that when that term ends? Well, when that term ends, things have changed. For example, your five-year-old is now 25 years old and hopefully has a job and is is, is self-sustaining. 
for example, you've been investing for 20 years, and instead of having a net worth of 50,000, you might have a net worth of 800,000. And when you die, it's no longer a financial crisis because you have money. And so the term life insurance is just to cover you for a certain period of time when you're early in life and have young people that depend on you. This is in contrast to any type of permanent life insurance where it lasts forever. And permanent life insurance is much more expensive. It's this like mutant hybrid of term life insurance and an investment. It has much higher fees. It has much higher commissions to the predatory insurance salesman who push it. And so if you're in down to my voice, here's one dude who is not selling you anything who says, if you need it, buy term life insurance. Otherwise, don't buy life insurance and never buy permanent life insurance, also called IUL, also called index universal variable life insurance. Uh, you know, there's, they keep changing the name of this thing to keep tricking more people into buying it, but it's not a good deal. So, I, I mean, you kind of already said it, but I, I was talking about life insurance with my my softball buddies, so <laughs> they're not giving me advice. I'm not taking any fin- saying you're giving me financial advice, but for someone like me who's, like you said, is not towards me, but I'm young, I don't have, I'm young-ish, 33, I guess that's not as young as I thought that's it was. That's young, you're a baby. Um, uh, thanks, I appreciate it. I, well, you see me when I shave. So me personally, the example you gave, I am young and youngish, and I don't have anyone depending on me. It's just me. I'm single, not married, no kids. Is there any reason for me to get it? Because my guys were saying, like, due to the underwriting process, like, oh, it'd be like it'd be relatively cheap. You're healthy, due to blah 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 blah. But is there any benefit to me getting it? Because it seemed like you were kind of leaning towards there's no need for me to get it at this age in in my current scenario. Yeah, I absolutely wouldn't. Um, and while it's true that it's cheaper when you're younger, but you also don't need it when you're younger. And you know, if you if you buy like a 20 year term from 33 to 53, for example, that's going to cost more than a 15 year term from 38 to 53. You know, and so while it might be cheaper per month, it doesn't really make any sense to lock in that rate. You could always just buy a shorter term later. And if you need it for longer, you're going to have to buy it for longer anyway. It's going to cost more then. So no. And what I would be doing with that money is investing it. I don't have kids, but if I did and I died, I still wouldn't need life insurance because I have a net worth of four and a half million dollars. And if I die, they just have tax-free four and a half million dollars because it's under that $12 million number. And so it doesn't create a financial crisis for anyone. They just, you know, I just give them access to my accounts and, you know, <laughs> wish them the best. I mean, other than all, all the tragedy around death, like it doesn't create a financial crisis. So no, there's no, in my opinion, life insurance is just a very simple thing. If you die and it creates a financial crisis, be covered. Otherwise, don't buy it and, and be investing that money. Said, you know, the other side of the coin is sometimes I worry that perfect can be the enemy of good, right? And if you're like, all right, I'm not going to buy life insurance. I'm going to buy heroin instead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's not, that's not, you know, it's gonna, it has health, <laughs> negative health impacts, probably. Um, it certainly is not a good investment, probably a bad investment. Um, but I would say if you can invest that money, like open up a Roth IRA, buy index funds, just hold it forever, let that money grow and grow over the decades, then you'll get to a point where if you do have kids and your term runs out, then you'll have a bunch of money and you'll be self-insured at that point. So pretty much just there's a better place to put your money as opposed to someone like me putting it in the life insurance. So it's a better place yeah, to absolutely. Like money. When you, the people who sell it as an investment, they're predatory insurance salesmen looking to make a commission. When you do the math on like the permanent life insurance as an investment versus a real investment like the stock market or real estate, dramatically underperforms like mm. you know you you pay into these things for like 10 years and you don't even have as much money as you put into it you're like losing money for 10 years and when it finally creeps up above like you know underwater a real investment would have like 5 x in value by that time um so you know they're just loaded with fees yeah i mean i kind of go on rants about this thing because i just see people get taken advantage by it every day no that's great 
Um, and speaking of rants, I just say things what comes to my mind in the moment. So bear with this one. But well, say say hypothetically, you know, I have a thirty, uh, whatever the term, a thirty year term, and you're like fourteen. I find out I have cancer. Can I renew it before that they find out I have cancer? <laughs> or you have to do you have to renew? You know, does that make any sense? Or do you have to? You only renew terms at the end of the term. You know, I think the answer to all these things is it depends. It's generally, you know, there are some, you know, online term life insurance policies where you can you don't don't even need a health check and you can just get it there. You generally like slightly higher premiums. Yeah, it all depends. And and, and life insurance in general, it all depends. Like they're all just contracts between you and a company. And life insurance companies aren't blind to the fact that some people have terminal illness and they don't want to sell policies to those people because um, they will take a certain loss. But also, I think a lot of those policies, if you already are covered, you can extend it. Also, if you have terminal life insurance and you have a 30-year term, either you're going to die well before 30 years or you'll have been cured from cancer because 30 years <laughs> is a very long time, right? Like, I think I met you know, year 29 in like six months. Oh, so you, probably, oh, okay, you're, <laughs> oh, yeah. If you're in the year 20. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm not an insurance salesman, so the honest answer is, is I'm not sure if you can just do an automatic extension. But even if you didn't have a terminal illness at that point, you know, life insurance is much more expensive when you're old, right? Like, you know, if you're 80 and you're trying to buy a 20-year term, you know, I think the insurance companies would just, they'd have to charge you more than they would pay you out because they have to like stay in business. So, because they, they're sure you're going to die, you know, with 90 some percent uh, certainty before you're 100, you know? Yeah, my software guys are like yelling at themselves saying they have to renew. He's like, I should have got the longer term. I'm going to die soon. So, so okay. So we had the the dead box life insurance. Is there any, what was the following that? Is it like you said, like, like Roths or something like that in regards to preparing for longer term investments and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, that's not really about estate planning. That's about, you know, the beautiful thing about investing is that you don't need to die to get the money. You know, life insurance, you have to die. Whereas, whereas <laughs> investing, you can, you know, you can use the money while you're alive, which is preferable. And yeah, that's just, that's just regular investing. So a Roth IRA, IRA stands for Individual Retirement Account. And I, you know, the number one people mistake people make about this is, you know, first of all, it's another intimidating, confusing term because it's like what the hell does this jumble of you know letters mean but it's just an account like a bank account like a savings account or a checking account but this one is is special because when you put money into this account it's never ever taxed again and so if you if you put like 500 bucks a month in this account and then you invest that money and it grows you know some people have millions of dollars in their Roth IRA then you'd never have to pay tax on it you get to take every penny of that out and spend it on things that you like there are some catches you know it's not totally a freebie one you can only put six thousand dollars per year in but that is use it or lose it so if you if you you know if you don't contribute to a roth ira in 2022 that six thousand dollar limit on the new cash you can put in is lost and the other kind of catch is that you can't take out the growth until after you're 59 and a half and the reason the government set this up is they basically it's not good for the world to have a bunch of broke old people and so they said hey if we encourage people like if we put a carrot out there and say hey you can have tax-free growth on all of your investments, but you can't take that growth out until you're 59 and a half. Then hopefully there'll be less broke old people in the, in, in the U.S. And this is a U.S. thing. If you have international listeners, these are like U.S. tax things. But you can take out the principal. So just like a savings account, you can put the money in and take it out, but you just can't take out the additional growth. And so, for example, if you put 500 bucks a month in, that's 6,000 bucks, and you leave it for, let's say, 35 years, the market doubles every seven years about. So money invested doubles every seven years. And that's five doubles, 
five times seven is 35. And so if 6,000 doubles five times, 6,000 goes to 12,000, 24,000, 48,000, 96,000, you know, 108 or 100, whatever, $192,000. And so your 6,000 turns into $192,000 just from sitting there. And it's 100% tax-free. And so to your softball buddy who is, you know, holding his head in his hand saying, oh, I should have got the longer term. You know, I, I don't know his situation. I don't know if he still has kids, whatever. But, you know, to not be in that situation, you just invest. And so then once that term is up, you're like, oh, because that, that 6,000 was just one year of contributions. If you do that for 10 years, you know, 10 times 192, we're talking about millions of dollars now. So yeah, that's that's what people should do. That's perfect. I had to reach over to my computer to mark that clip so I can have that edited by Thursday to show my at the seven thirty game so I can make sure he hears that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this Finance is all, advice for the softball team. <laughs> there you go. It's a new class. Your uh, your club under your main umbrella. I'm not going to get into it too much because I know the main conversation is financial. I'm not going to get too philosophical on you, but I'm curious. Once you started, you know, maybe considering your demise in regards to this dead box stuff, which I think is awesome. Did you ever start contemplating it more? Like, or, or are you just kind of like free flowing? It's like you thought about it preparing, like, I don't really care anymore. Like the idea that you're going to die. Like, is that something that you started? Like, I feel like it didn't come out of nowhere unless it was just your innate, like financial sensibility. That you, like you thought about it, but in a sense of, does that happen more often now? Your thought about the idea that you're going to go bye-bye? Yeah. I mean, you host a podcast called Dead Talks and you interview a bunch of people who are at least correlatively related to that. And so, you know, I don't, right? This is this is a, a, a tiny part of my life. And so, yeah, I, I think I live a more typical experience with regards to death where I don't think about it that much. Um, I don't plan on dying. You know, I have, I'm 41. Both my parents are still alive. They're either turning 70 this year or over 70. All my grandparents are dead. My parents are like necked up in the chop, chopping block if everything goes in, in the correct order, you know? Um, and then then it's me. So, um, you know, being over 40, you know, things like <laughs> health insurance start getting more expensive because we start like breaking down more often. So yeah, I mean, for sure my, you know, when you're in your 20s or whatever, you're invincible and it's starting to creep into my consciousness that we won't be here forever. And, you know, like I know you lost your dad in an accident or, you know, I don't know if you call an accident. What you call it, you call it a terrorist attack? Um, <laughs> yeah, the accidental terrorist attack. My bad. I didn't yeah. mean to. I didn't mean to fly that plane into the building. It was an accident. I was going to London. <laughs> right. Oh, I, I, just as opposed. I don't know. What do you? What, what's the class of things called? that's not like illness or something or unexpected. Oh uh, yeah, I don't know, but that's definitely the category my dad falls in. I, I had. I had. Right. A, I had to throw that question out there because I, I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't making you feel a little uncomfortable. So I just wanted to get that. Yeah. In there. Yeah. No, I mean. <laughs> I, I like that stuff because, yeah, I mean, just like I do too. I mean, I know when I when I ask you what the estate tax exemption is, it makes you uncomfortable. It's like by the same token, I, I need to get out of my comfort zone. But yeah, actually, maybe you should talk to this guy, a uh, guy named Doc G. Jordan Grummet, who he has a great podcast called Earn and Invest, and he's a hospice doctor. And he, he just wrote a book about money and death. And basically, like, he sees people dying, you know, every day. And... He's actually awesome. You guys would you guys would have quite a conversation. Is I'm, sure. er, is er, I'm assuming um, Earn and Invest.com is him. It's a podcast, right? So. The Earn and, the Earn and yeah. Invest podcast. All right, I'll check him out. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. Jordan yeah. Grummet, I think is how he says his name. But yeah, I mean, I was actually just at this weekend at a something called Camp Fi for financial independence. And normally in this space, we talk a lot about the technical details about which accounts to use and how much growth to expect over time and how to, you know, minimize your taxes. 
But this was like a very cerebral conversation for most this weekend where it's like, if you reach financial dependence, like what's life all about? What's the purpose? Like we're all going to die. How do we like maximize our, our value here on earth or whatever? And, you know, I think that he largely orchestrated that conversation too. So yeah, these are, it's, it's intertwined with money because I think a lot of people while they're living a lot, they, they think that their primary tension in life is money. You know, like, oh, if I had more money, I'd be happier. If I got the next raise, the next car, the next house, whatever, that would solve my problems. And when you kind of enter this fire movement, financial independence, and and so for me, I became rich overnight, and I was living on $36,000 a year. I was driving a 99 Ford Explorer. I was the lowest paid employee in my company. And then I was a multimillionaire with a click of a refresh button on my website. Suddenly, I was money was not my problem anymore. And, and they say like the reward for financial independence is an existential crisis <laughs> because it's like, what am I about now? Like, I'm not trying to make it anymore, you know, or whatever make it means. And so, so yeah, I mean, I, there is some kind of like, and I think death is part of that because it's like, what do you, what are we about while we're here until we're gone? Yeah, so true. Cause I'm not, I'm not, I'm not where I, you know, where I plan on being financially yet. And I think it's, it's kind of like shifted for me where I realized I don't know, getting older, like I want to make a lot of money. And, but I do, I, I feel like I have the foresight that money isn't going to get me happiness, but money's going to make me way more, more comfortable <laughs> and it's going to yeah. ease, it's going to ease certain problems and stresses for sure. So I think I, I, people say like, oh, money doesn't make you happy. It's like, it can make you a little happy, but it also doesn't solve whatever shit you got going inside. Like you said, the existential crisis. So I think there is a balance there where it's like, I believe money can make you live a lot more comfortable. It can relieve a lot of the stresses. It can make you happy in many senses, but I don't think it's truly going to fulfill you. I wonder how many people that get to it. I love what you're doing because it's like you're, you know, you got to a point where you seem like you're happy and I'm sure you can make a shit ton more money, which if you really wanted to, and I'm sure you are, but it's like, you know, I wonder how many people continually chase that money to make to like double, triple, quadruple it just because like that's their meaning of life now. And, you know, I wonder how many, you know, super wealthy people you see that aren't truly happy because their only focus is money. But once again, like money can make, makes you fucking comfortable as hell. And that's really what I want. So <laughs> that's, that's my goal. Yeah. First of all, I don't mean to be dismissive. First of all, if you're like, if you're in poverty, money will definitely make you happier. You know, if you don't, if you can't pay the lights bill, if you're worried about where your next meal is, like without question, it will, it will like, it will add internal yes. long-lasting joy to your life. <laughs> if you're to a place where you're at least comfortable and you're not food insecure and you can pay the utilities and stuff like that, I do think there starts to be this more cerebral conversation. Like I've heard like three different theories. One is that it makes it makes you exactly 10% happier. You know, like if you're really, you know, if you're just medium and you get rich, you'll be 10% happier because like you have a really nice washing machine and that was a pain in your ass or you can fly first class and like flying first class doesn't like lead to a long lasting internal sense of joy, but like, you know, makes you 10% happier for the it's day. It's nice. <laughs> right. For sure. <laughs> um, I've also heard that over, you know, whatever it is, $70,000 a year, it makes you no happier. This is like a study and I think it's kind of been debunked, but it's like kind of like once you're basically your needs are covered. You, you can like take vacations occasionally, then throwing more money at the problem doesn't make you happier. And like, I don't know if I look at like trips I've gone in the past, like my happiest trips weren't where I like was in the nicest hotel room. You know, it's like, it was all about the people and the situation and the experience. And, and so I think as long as you, you know, can, you know, if you go out to a really nice dinner or go out to a budget dinner, I don't think and you think about that, it's like totally like who you were with. And you're like, oh man, I wish I was like better to that girl. It's not like, oh, I wish I would have gone to a better restaurant, you know? And then the third, and actually my favorite 
explanation of wealth is it makes you an amplified an amplified version of who you already are. And so if you are if you're broke and you're kind of a shitty person and then you become rich, you're gonna be like a really shitty person, you know. You're gonna be mean to waiters and a dick to your employees and whatever. But if you're broke and you're kind and giving and you become wealthy, then you become like philanthropic and magnanimous and you know and be able to do that. But the problem is I think there's like some shitty people who think when they get rich, it'll solve their problems, but then they just get angry and they think people are out for their money and their friends, you know, like abandon them or whatever, you know? Um, and so, but it, it does, you know, present a problem where I think obviously this is what I do for a living. I think people should take care of their finances, but if you're just chasing more money your whole life, expecting it to solve your problems, when you get there, you might get there on your deathbed and realize that like it was a, you should have been like focusing on the journey. A hundred percent, but I do. I don't mind first class at all. It's fucking. Oh my god, I, I've only done, I've done it a couple of times. When I first did it, I was like, "This is a mistake," because like this isn't sustainable for me right now. To con- I was like, "I should not have done this." Right. So I just like it opened my eyes. Like Jesus Christ! But yeah, that is the beauty yeah. of it. Like, that's my mentality. Is I, I I like to think I'm a half decent person, and I do see the foresight of like if I have this money, it gives me opportunity to access certain things to help other people. I'm not saying and, and be more philanthropic, like you said. So there is a lot of benefit to that, and. You know, people, I think it's, it's just the way we perceive, you perceive money. Some people can look at it and equate it to greed, or some people can look at it and equate it to opportunity for yourselves and the people around you. So yeah. I think that's, that perception is just, uh, perception is just life, the way you look at anything. So I, I, I love the way you look at it. I love what you're doing. And um, like I said, I won't ask you any too many more deep questions about death because I think the financial aspect you just gave to us is so valuable. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I don't know if there's anything that you want to throw out and A, plug yourself. I'll put the links in the bombs so people can find you. But if there's any last minute bombs you want to drop on the dead talkers out there, uh, feel free. Well, yeah. I mean, if you want to if you want to learn more about, about money, check me out. Most of my content creation happens on Instagram at Personal Finance Club, personalfinanceclub.com. And I will, I always leave with my two rules of building wealth because money is this like super scary, intimidating topic. But to make money to build wealth, you have to do two things. Number one, you have to live below your means. That means spend less money than you make. No matter what you do, if you like, if you, get, if you make half a million dollars a year and you spend half a million dollars a year, you're broke. And so no matter where your income is, you got to spend less than you make to build wealth. Then rule number two is invest early and often. Just saving the way we, the world we live in, saving isn't enough because, you know, with inflation, you actually lose value to, to in your savings account. And so if you spend less than you make and you invest the difference, over time, that's how rich people get rich. And all the other speculative nonsense you hear is, is nonsense. And so that's, that's what I'll leave you with. Bam. Jeremy Snyder, Personal Finance Club. Guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode. This was a fun one, super unique. And uh, we didn't have to talk about people dying all the time. So thank you for tuning in, guys. And uh, until next week, ciao.